Ignition sequence start. Five, four, three, two. This is the Breaking Barriers Podcast. The conversation about changing the narrative for boys and young men of color in Western New York. Let's go. What's good, y'all? It's your boy, Dwayne Sawyer. We're back with another podcast with the Breaking Bears podcast. We got Dr. Chris St. Ville here what from up, the University up. of Buffalo. What's good, Dr. Chris? Man, it's good way. to see what's you. What's And we got Daniel Robinson giving me the stare, but he over here. He looking good. Good to see you, brother. <laughs> Appreciate that. It's good to see you, too, Dwayne. And we got Layla Robinson in the room, Daniel's daughter. Hi, Layla. And my, of course, Jamil You You know, you, he always here. He's the mastermind. All right, y'all. Today it's um we we got a little heavy hearts because there's a lot going on in the world, and we want to just bring some light and some clarity to some of the stuff that's been hurting us mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. And we got Dr. Chris to help me and Daniel break some of this stuff down in his way of, you know, teaching and showing how much information he knows based off of the situations going on. So, Dr. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Dwayne. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, what's what do you what's your intake? You know, a lot has happened since, you know, the murder of George Floyd. And since that moment, America seemed on ease, you know? And it's it's tough for a lot of people. It's tough for me to even talk about because it's it's pain. It's pain. So how do you feel, you know, Daniel, I'm asking you too, but um, how do you feel knowing that the country, you know, you, you were born into is scumbling down to nothing? I mean, I'm, um, I, th- I think it's both, I think it's a positive thing actually mm. that, you know, the, cur- the curtain finally is being pulled and that we're dealing with a lot of the wounds that we haven't dealt with. Um, over the years, a lot of so th- these wounds around slavery, yeah. around the America's original sin, these wounds around racism, discrimination, and discriminatory practices, behaviors, and stereotypes. I think all of it is coming to a head, and I think um, I think this needed to happen in order for us to begin to 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 go on the road to recovery um, and to healing as a country. But things are probably going to get worse before they get better. Um, but yeah, I'm happy with it actually. This, mm. I, I feel like this needed to happen. This was yeah. like this was sort of like a scab, and the scab came mm. off, and now um, you see the injury under that scab that was there. It never healed, mm-hmm. and so it's gushing out now. So it needs to gush out, and um, things need to happen in order for us to get set back on the on the right trajectory again. Definitely. So you're saying this is a healing moment, you know? This is a healing moment for us all. Well, it could go either way, right? It could go either way. It could it could um. We could get we could go in the in the direction of healing, or we could go in the direction of creating a wider chasm between white and blacks in America. You mm. know, it could go either way. But the good thing is, is that finally that the veil has been pulled. Yeah, you know, that's one great thing about um, Donald Trump is that he just laid it bare and um, he he let us know what America is about. You know, he laid it out there, and so now that we know what it's about, what are we as a people mm-hmm. going to do? Um, to change that or to make it better. And so with that, you know, I think it's a good thing what's going on right now. Daniel, I'm going to head to you. I'm going to go off of what he just said. What do you think we have to do as people, colored people, that have to go through this on a daily? What do we have to do 
to survive, dude? What do we have to do? So <clears throat> for me, it's something that I've been talking about for a long time. We as a community have to come together. Uh, we as black people, we as, you know, people of color, but we, we got to take care of our own, um, which is something that we we used to do very well. And everyone talks about that old that old adage, uh, it's, it takes a village. Um, and our village has been burning down for a long time now. So it's, it's time for us to actually uh, come together, unite, get on one accord and really focus in on, you know, two to three things that are, that we can all do in our own neighborhoods and backyards, communities within our families, different organizations, um, things that we're connected to that we can do to actually push us forward. Like it's been open season on black folk for a long time. Mm -hmm. The fact that Trump arrived in office only kind of just gave uh, more, more permission to shoot, uh, to folk to kind of, as you just kind of (laughs) said, line up, aim and fire. Um, but it's been like this for a long time. You know, we saw it with George Floyd. We saw it with the young man that was gunned down while he was while he was jogging. Uh, we just saw it in Rochester, and um, really, the mm-hmm. big shout out to to Rochester. I just I've been watching the way that they've been protesting, and I love um, you know the numbers that they have. They've been doing it peacefully. Um, it's been well organized. Um, I heard Dr. Nelms on, on Facebook Live today, just kind of talking about um, how. The uh, organizers are really, um, they're paying attention to community and making sure that those protesters, when they're out there protesting and, you know, putting their lives on the line, in, in, in a sense, how they're actually, you know, really taking the heart, making sure that those folk are safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to continue to do the things that we're doing, um, but it can't just be us. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other folk that have to chime in and, uh, and help lead this charge in this effort. Of course. And that's the thing. We have to take initiative. We have to take initiative for our own unfortunately our own mistakes because you know us not being prepared when we go out on a day-to-day basis we know what the world is we know that things are unsettled we have to be more prepared we have to be mentally prepared we have to be we have to think differently now we're not on the same timeline we were before things aren't as mellow as they once were you know it's it's everybody showing their true colors and you know per se so we now that we know like dr chris was saying now that we know what it is we have to initiate a plan for our safety and our community's regrowth because the time is now i've heard it during protests i've heard it the time is now for change and if we take that initiative and actually put up some policies and actually take the time to go through those policies and, you know, evaluate thoroughly, things can be different because we're taking the initiative to change the stuff that was already oppressive from the jump. I, th- I think I think we've been attacking those issues. What makes this different is that the white folks done came out now mm. and the white folks woke up. You know, George Floyd and the pandemic. Well, the pandemic had everybody sitting in the house. Mm-hmm. And then when George Floyd happened, then everybody, you know, bore witness to it, you know. And um, so, you know, we've been marching. We was out there for Trayvon. Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter been out there, you know, for a minute. What makes this one different is that you have all these white people coming out. And so with, with this situation, we have to um, we have to take advantage of this mm-hmm. opportunity. You know what I'm saying? With so many people coming out, especially the white ones, because we know hardly any change happens in this country unless white people um, engage in the advocacy. And so... How do we keep this momentum going? We have a lot of white mothers that are jumping on the front line now. We have a lot of white veterans that are jumping yeah. on the front lines. You know, 
They're playing different roles in different cities. How do we take advantage of this momentum to actually make lasting change, both policy-wise and attitudinal-wise, you know? Um, so the only thing that makes us different is that the white people are now engaged and they saw everything that happened on that George Floyd video and they're not happy about it either as Americans. Mm. Yeah, and to add on to what you said, Dr. Chris, like it's it's, it's almost as if uh, they woke now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the folk that... And it's, it's no... It's... I want no. I'm not gonna say that. It's it's to my surprise. No, I'm not gonna say that either. I'm I'm not surprised though because th- these things have been happening for years upon years and years. And I guess the question I keep asking myself and asking focus like why now? Why is it? Why are your eyes open now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I can't get past that. But I'm glad that eyes are starting to open. I'm glad that you know p- people are starting to use their voices. Um, you know, folk they started to open up their pocketbooks and send money here and send money there, but you know, I don't want your white guilt. Mm. You know, I don't want you just, you just throwing money out here because you feel bad. You know, I wanted to come from a place of you being genuine mm-hmm. and come on down here getting these front lines with me, mm-hmm. on these front lines with me mm-hmm. and do some work. Mm-hmm. Don't just open up your pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prior to us starting the podcast, we were having a quick conversation before Daniel entered the room. We were talking about Milwaukee. And things going on there with the death of the 32-year-old. I haven't really did my, you know, extensive research. But, um, Dr. Chris, I would love to hear your perspective on what's going on in Milwaukee. That just happened two days ago. Well, the brother, you know, the brother got shot by a police officer seven times in the back, you know, while he was at his vehicle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was an excessive use of force. If, um, If the police officer felt like his life was threatened, you know, with the with the black man being at his at, at his car door, with his back face to him, mm. I don't think he needed to let off seven shots. Wow, you know, and um, he could have he could have did anything. He could have he could have um slammed him. He could have his back was facing him. The cop could have slammed him. He could have um restrained him. Definitely, if he decided to shoot him, you could have shot him in the foot or the leg or Why something the like back? that. You know. But seven times, I think is a bit excessive, and I don't think I don't think you can defend that. You know, he had his back to him, and so um, there's a lot of protests going on in Wisconsin and Kenosha because of that. Donald Trump obviously went out there and incited that. Um, so that's what's going on out there. I mean, the same thing that's going on in other parts of the country. No different. You know, black people ain't pulling up for it no more. Nor are white people, and they're hitting the streets trying to keep these police officers accountable. But mm-hmm. we can see that law enforcement is being reluctant, and they're fighting back as well. They're not trying to really, you know, um, in Kentucky, they're now they're trying to say Breonna Taylor was actually in, involved in this this drug right, situation. They, they trying to get her uh, her her boyfriend to indict her and say yeah, that she was you yeah. know part of this drug ring this that and the third yeah. but the double back to you know the point that you just made about the the, the gentleman in uh wisconsin you know outside of being shot seven times in your back and paralyzed now possibly for the rest of your life it's the fact your kids had to see that your kids mm-hmm. had to see yeah. your kids are sitting in that vehicle and now they have these images of a police officer holding you by your shirt and letting off seven shots in your back for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. That's an image that they will never be able to erase. No, they are forever traumatized by that. Mm-hmm. And now they've already developed if they hadn't had a perception of police already, a very negative one yes. of police. Yes, right. So 
Um, like I said before, it it's it's been happening. It just you know it was happening before, and we didn't have smartphones and cameras and tablets and all mm-hmm. this other stuff that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just now you know folk are getting caught and you seeing stuff on body cameras mm-hmm. and the stuff not getting released on body cameras until months after exactly. the incident. That's Rochester, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Rochester. Rochester. So um, it's crazy, man. But it, I think it just speaks to the work that you know we've been trying to do uh, with these young men like Dwayne and the rest of the young men involved in breaking barriers. And I know. You're here today to kind of talk a little bit, little bit about that culturally responsive evaluation piece, mm-hmm. which I love for us to kind of dive into that, Dwayne. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, before we dive in, I just wanted to get a quick response from both of you. How do you feel knowing you know that it's home? You know, right now we are at battle at home in Buffalo at this moment. The protest. Shout out to my boy Daniel. He was there at Hurdle, right there in the center of it all. I knew I saw you and Daphne. And that that moved me, you know, I didn't go, but it moved me because it shows that we as a city, as Buffalonians, we call ourselves, we as a city is standing together. You know, we're not thinking race at the moment. We're thinking people. We're thinking humanity. And that's that's the picture. You have to start quit looking at race. Start looking at character. Start looking at individuality. Start looking at who you are as a person. And then that we can lead off of, you know. So I just want to I want to give you your props because that, that took guts, especially, you know, with them. You know, others that was across the street protesting their rights, which they have the right to do. But, you know, you did that. And I respect you. So. I have a lot on that, right? So, because, you know, Dr. Chris, as you know, you know, you saw me about a month ago. So, you know, I live in the Hurdle area mm-hmm. now, but I grew up on the east side, lived on the east side all my life, right? So, um, one, the incident that happened on what, what was it, two Fridays ago, where, you know, you had protesters um, that were prote- protesting down Hurdle Avenue, and then you had two gentlemen, uh, one from East Aurora, and then the other one was from, like, not Batavia, somewhere out there, mm-hmm. but not in the city, right? So they were um, blocking the path of protesters to come down Hurdle Avenue, and one decided to start using racial slurs, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not going to repeat on here, but he was using the end, which, mm-hmm. you know, black people take offense when white people use that word, but we won't even go there because folk have a lot of different yeah. differing opinions on if you should use the N-word or not. But um, he was using words that he shouldn't use. And then he pulled a knife out, which law enforcement said they had no recollection of, did not see mm. um, at the time, which I had an issue with because there's nowhere in the world you're sitting right there in a the squad car yeah, and you see, see this happening. But uh, I won't go too deep on, on, on that here um, mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. But uh, you had this individual with a knife. And that's... That's a crime in and of itself. And right. we know that if that man would have been black, um, throwing the knife around, uh, he would have... In front of he would've, people. In front that. of people. Not only could, would, he, would he have been arrested, he possibly would have been injured or his life would have been... Taken. Ended, ended, right? Taken. Um, so that, you know, that was one issue I had. And the other issue I had was um, watching officers surround this individual in a way that looked at looked at as if they were protecting him um when he was the person uh fueling fueling a, a, a potentially violent situation 
So then, you know, that happens. No arrest was made at that time, which mm-hmm. it definitely should have been. Um, he wound up getting arrested a couple of days later. I think he wound up, you know, uh, getting fired from his job once the job found out about mm-hmm. it. Just that and the third. Uh, so then you had some protesters that decided to go out in front of MT, MT Pockets. A couple of days later, you had the owner come out along with some people that were, you know, uh, at his establishment. Mm-hmm. And you saw... Um, a bunch of different violations. You saw open containers. You saw folk with masks not on. Mm. Uh, you saw folk in the street. You saw folk not social distancing. And, you know, thank God that this, you know, we do have cameras, but right. uh, you had a bunch of people that were kind of like online, like, you know, hit this line up so that uh, violations can be placed on this or on this establishment. And they were. And then the next day you had, uh, the the health department going in and basically saying they were shut down, so that was good to see, which then resulted in a protest on last Friday, uh, where folk went out and there was a lot of talk around this protest and people were thinking that it was going to become violent because so I'm watching the Facebook live and one of the comments that one of the gentlemen made on the sidelines was uh, why don't you go back to the east side and that comment was directed at a African American female. Uh, well, a woman who owned a, a business on Hurdle, mm-hmm. and it's been speculated that, that she had to shut her business down because of some of the microaggressions that she had experienced um, because she was a black business owner on, on Hurdle Avenue. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that, you know, we have to deal with. And because of that, the idea behind this protest was the east side is coming to North Buffalo to come tear up Hurdle Avenue. And that's not what the protest was about. Mm. The protests are about George Floyd. The protests are about uh, the racial injustices that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Right. They're about us not being treated fairly. They're about police brutality. They're about, you know, the things that we are seeing nationally happen to folk um, that are impacting our people just because of the way that we look. And that's, that's super sad to say, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age, man. We've, we've had leaders that have fought for some of the same things that we're still fighting for today. So how far have we really come? Wow. You know, um, it's sad to see that the same people that keep asking why are these people in the streets protesting and causing mischief, they say mischief, causing mischief. Why Why are they doing this? Why? Why are they doing this? Because, I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Because, because people like you don't see why we're doing this. You don't see the bigger picture that we're all trying to show you that we actually matter. Our lives matter because they didn't matter. We didn't. We were stripped from who we were. First off, our ancestors were stripped of their names, their culture, who they, their, everything, everything, their identity. And we were given these <laughs> alter egos. Mm-hmm. And that caused us to have trauma. Mm-hmm. Inheritable trauma at that. Well, not only well, yeah, that caused us to have trauma. The fact that the police treat people differently causes us trauma. Going back to Daniel's point about that that man, you know, who wielded that knife, you know, um, police officers tend to be sympathetic to these to these to these kind of people, right? So in Kenosha, they the the, the police officers in, in Wisconsin were handing out water to the militiamen. Yeah. To, I saw that. Right before the, the right before the guy killed two of the protesters. Um and so there's this sympathetic sort of um, attitude that the law enforcement have for these for these sort of people, man, and that that just bring that just draws our ire even more. That makes us even more angry. That's why we protest because they don't see 
what they're doing is causing a reason to protest. Well, you know, I, I think they I think they know what they're doing. I think they okay. know what they're doing. I think they see what they're you have a white man in the middle of a hurdle, mm-hmm. in the middle of a protest who's throwing racial epithets at people of color and um and he's being, so and you he's think being he shielded by the to... police. Mm-hmm. They know what they were doing. They were allowing this man to be vitriolic. They were allowing him to be verbally violent. Yeah. They were allowing him to wield this knife and they let him go home. He should have been arrested. For disturbing the peace. But they view him as an ally. Law enforcement view people like that as allies, you Mm -hmm. know? And, you know, that's just something else that makes us even more angry. But at the end of the day, those guys get to act like that, and that's what happens to them. They get a slap on the wrist, and Mm -hmm. they get sent home. We just got to make sure none none of the brothers act like that because they will not get a slap on the wrist and be sent home. We have different. We have a whole different, well... I'm not even gonna say it, but privilege is not in our vocabulary. That guy on hurdle wield the knife, threw racial epithets out. He gets his pat on the wrist and sent home. The guy in Wisconsin, he goes to his car with his back turned. He gets hit in the back seven times. No knife, no threat. But they got, but the white guy that was on hurdle the other day, that was a clear threat to some people. But no arrest, right? These are the differences. I'm but here. you know, as a brother, you know you can't go out there acting like that. Mm-hmm. So you know. Why? Why do we have to constantly fight? That's the question of the day. Why do we have to fight for things that should be already given? That is old. Why? Why must we fight? I don't know. But what I can say. Things can only go one way. I see they already went down. We have to do something to change course direction of how everything is going in daniel and tommy and everybody we need leaders in this city right now and i saw your facebook post you said where are my leaders at you are a leader we look to you the council look to you daniel the council look to you dr chris the council is looking to you for clarity we are all looking for somebody for clarity we need y'all to keep the fire of righteousness alive because we're losing that flame so on that it's funny that you bring that post up uh because you know when i posed that question i already knew the answer to it um but i really it was really uh i posed it because at that point in time i hadn't heard any of our leaders actually chime in on that he did air quotes on, y'all. on on what happened um and you know, I was kind of bothered by that. When you look at the makeup of our city and folk who hold high-ranking mm-hmm. profile, high visible, high visit, high visibility positions, um, you know, I th- I don't think I'm wrong to say I expect to see you know those individuals step to the forefront. Um, but you know, it has to be when you ask that question, you have to like as you said, the when you got to turn around and kind of look at yourself and be like, eh. And nobody else gonna step up. I will, right? So, um, we all have a duty and responsibility. And you know, we may not have the platform that some of those individuals have, but we have one. So you got to use it um, when it's there. Uh, the the other the other thing I'll say on that is we can't we can't lose momentum, right? We can't let the uh, kind of that fire, that energy that we have when these things happen die down once it kind of like it's Nothing not will be done once it's not in the media anymore once it's not front page news anymore uh you have to continue to push on 
these systems, push on your political leaders, push on your just leaders in the community, you know, mm -hmm. community leaders. You have to continue to keep these uh, these incidents in the forefront because we honestly, we saw it happen already. George Floyd happened. Protests happened. Riots happened. Some things got changed here and there in some places. Um, some resolutions were posed. Mm -hmm. But then it got quiet until... The just, next one happened. Until the next one, one happened, right? So, so it's, that uh, gentleman was shot in his back seven times, and now everybody's up in arms mm -hmm. over something that happened in Rochester back in March because the body camera footage finally came out, right? So now everybody's up in arms, but this happened in March. It happened in March, right? So we got to continue to, and I say this with all respect, we got to continue to keep uh, a foot on the throat, on the neck uh, of folk that, you know, Need mm -hmm. need to change things. Mm -hmm. Like we cannot allow our fire and that energy to no go away. No leeway can be once, given once things die down. No so, leeway at all. Um, we can continue to sit here and push this conversation mm -hmm. all night long. And Dr. Chris, I you know I, I we we talk about these things on the regular. Um, but I really want us to shift gears and kind of talk about something something positive. Well, of course, right? So well, well, you know, Dr. Chris, um, he just did a study. And it's great news, y'all. We um Man, it's bigger than a study, man. This is well, it's life work for real, for real. And when he started and he joined and joined the council and committed himself, he um started evaluating the members with permission, of course, to see how our pers our personalities changed over the course of us being in the council. And it's crazy. He actually showed us the stats and we were on Zoom. And we were going through some of the data. And I'm looking through the data. I'm like, yo, the graduates that graduated from the council, they're starting to show more and more of the character characteristics that they learn and during the council. And they're starting to, you know, voice their opinion more and become more opinionated than what they were already. And they're starting to show that, you know, they really want to be active within the community, whether, you know, they just joined or, you know, as a current member, the current members have the same passion. Some of them, you know, still, you know, lost it and veered toward different directions. But most of the members I've seen is steady on a positive role. And Dr. Chris, I would, it's crazy. Just tell everybody what happened. We had a big, 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 big breakthrough. Big, big <laughs> breakthrough. Yeah. So, um. So I came in and um and I evaluated breaking barriers. You know, I, I met Brother Daniel and Pastor Tommy. I had yeah, it, it was a nurture father's meeting. It was at a nurture's father's meeting. It was, it was that. That was, the, that was the first time I ever saw you in my life. <laughs> and I'm not even gonna lie, like we I told you this before, but like when you walked in, I was like, That's Dr. Chris. That's who everybody keeps talking about. I he don't look like you didn't want you know when you hear the tar, the title you doctor. know when you hear somebody got their doctor you hear doctor so and so you 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 kind of have an expectation right yeah. and when Dr. Chris walked in I'm like that's Dr. Chris yeah that dude looks straight hood <laughs> I yeah when you think of a doctor you normally think of a bad suit yeah. you know some shoes that ain't shined you know and some white hair you know demonstrating some age but nah mm -hmm. um. Yeah, I'm, I'm a younger version of a doctor. Yeah, you came walking in. I said, my yeah. man got the T.I. Yeah, I'm swag, swag, swag going through walking in. I'm like, that's Dr. Chris. Yeah. Yo. 
So then Brother Daniel and Pastor Tommy and I met at a Nurturing Fathers program, wow. and then that's what we began discussing. You know, I basically told them that I'm a trained evaluator and that mm-hmm. I'm interested in evaluating programs that serve black men, mm-hmm. you know, boys, black men and black boys. And that um, I heard about their program from Antoine Johnson, Brother Johnson. Mm-hmm. I think that's who ended up introducing us. And then I had a meeting, and I came to meet with Pastor Tommy and Brother Johnson. And mm-hmm. we just started talking about metrics. We started about how do we, how do we, how do we show that your program is having some impact, right? Um, and so basically, I gave, I, I shared my idea. Like, there's a way I think he, we we should try to demonstrate your impact. They already had something going on at the time, mm-hmm. but then um, you know, I came from a different angle. I came, mm-hmm. I came at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just came at it from a different angle, and then I made and I and I made some suggestions around different things we should mm-hmm. measure and stuff. And we had some discussions, and um, Pastor Tommy, Brother Daniel said, "Yo, we gonna go with you. <laughs> we are gonna see what you gonna do." And, and and this is just the, and this is actually just the first part. This is actually just you know one piece. This is a preliminary evaluation. So what mm-hmm. we ended up doing was we we first you know Pastor Tommy and Brother the survey, yeah, okay. I'm gonna I'm, I'm give y'all a little insight real fast. Um, the first the first time he came to the council was the first year we already had started. We were a few months deep, and I never forget it. We were at Bennett, and that's when you came in. We were doing. We were sitting there. We was bored, and all of a sudden we hear we having a doctor come in to speak. So we like, <laughs> oh, we about to be even more bored. So we like we sitting there, we waiting. You will be <laughs> we, you was awake. The funny part is, you was already in the room. So we we like oh, so he they introduced him. So we like oh that's Doctor Chris. Oh okay, he black. That's the first name that came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we like oh he black. He a doctor and he young. So it's like wow. So that was already a culture shock for real. For real, it, it blew my mind. So I was like okay. So when we did the evaluation, he was explaining, I think you were giving a presentation on, uh, it's at the tip of my tongue, you were saying, um, I think it had to do with our environments. It was, um, it was a presentation on environments, and we were talking about waste management mm-hmm. and different stuff of that nature. So we were talking about um, how to improve the environment, I think, and you were saying, giving different... Yes, I remember you. You gave the presentation when we were talking about the Black Plague and how it, the economics were like real bad. The economy was bad, mm-hmm. and you were saying how everything at that time was horrible. So you were saying you were giving us a view of how life would look if we were placed in that time, mm-hmm. right? So we did that. We thought that was cool. We like, oh, that's cool. He split us into groups. We trying out little different stuff. Okay, okay, that's fine. And then he started explaining. So instantly he started talking all loud. So we like, oh, he lit. <laughs> <laughs> he lit. He not boring. And it gave us that satisfaction that, okay, we might actually like him. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like first impressions is key. And when you joined, you know, the council and everything, you gave us that impression that you were gonna be solid mm-hmm. honestly and you have it's three years now super I'm, solid man man and uh you you alluded to the survey piece and that's just a part of the coachly responsive mm-hmm. data evaluation that's, which yeah. i want dr chris to talk about mm-hmm. talk about yeah. data dr chris Let's talk about, talk about as you would say you gotta talk about the data <laughs> you know what i'm saying so yeah. just just explain to folk you know because culturally culturally responsive data data evaluation that's not a phrase, a term that you even hear a lot. So, like, break that down. Like, what does that actually mean? Like, what was that process? 
So basically, we made it culturally responsive because we wanted it to be couched within the context of the boys' culture. So they're African-American boys, they're black boys. So how do we make sure that we're measuring things that we think matter to them, things that matter to them, that we should be trying to capture and trying to improve on, such as their self-esteem and their racial socialization. Mm-hmm. But then also, how do we how do we interpret the results of the evaluation from their perspective as well, right? And um, this wasn't just done just for the numbers for study purposes. This was done for to see where we were at in the program and then to also improve the program. So there may be even some changes that happen as a result of just this preliminary evaluation mm-hmm. when Pastor Tommy and Brother Daniel and I sit down to go over it some more. But overall, that's what makes a resp- uh, an evaluation culturally responsive. Right. When you're trying to couch that evaluation, you're trying to design the planning around it and even the measures that you that you that you decide to take up. Um, the measures that you decide decide to capture that they are relevant to the culture and to the to the challenges and or even opportunities mm-hmm. that the group that you're evaluating and that 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 information relates to that that it's not just being collected just for collection's sake mm-hmm. to just throw it down in an article that is actually something that you guys are gonna are gonna be able to build from and that's gonna actually help you guys grow. And one element of the evaluation that you led was. Uh, you actually trained up other young men of color to come in and evaluate a program mm-hmm. that was predominantly all young men of color. So can you kind of walk us through what that process looked like? Yeah, no doubt. Um, so Pastor Tommy, Pastor Tommy and, at, um, and at BCAT, the Buffalo Center for Arts and Technology, Devon was working at BCAT at the time, Devon McCoon. And basically they... Um, they they had a discussion saying yo can how do we how can we get the BCAT guys involved in this in this in this project somehow and then Pastor Tommy and Devon came up with the idea of let them help out with the evaluation. So what happened was I I ended up being um going over to BCAT, um meeting with Devon, met some of the youth there, and then some of the youth that were interested in engaging in the evaluation. Mm-hmm. They basically rolled they they rolled out with me and and did the whole evaluation. They helped me design it. They then um, participated in a couple of observations. They came out to the Saturday Academy over at Bennett a couple mm-hmm. of times to to observe what y'all do, what you got, what the guys at Breaking Barriers were actually getting. Mm-hmm. And um, they kind of approached it like it was a program that they were trying to get into, right? So they did a couple of observations. We went back to BCAT, discussed those observations. They took notes. As a result of those observations, they engaged in um, discussions that led to the development of the qualitative um, questions mm-hmm. that we put together. Oh, you explained it. Qualitative and quantitative. You know, that was a huge, huge presentation Mm -hmm. because it gave us insight about data and everything that has to go in that aspect. And it was big for me because I took it to heart. You know, I still remembered it. So that, so, um, so the, the the surveys that y'all took, that was the quantitative data. Mm-hmm. And then the qualitative questions that the BCAT youth helped put together as a result of their observations, that was the qualitative. And then those boys literally came here. They came over to say yes on a Saturday with me during one of the events. And then we just started interviewing guys one by one in the small room. And they mm-hmm. led the interview. Um, after the interviews, we took the data, we recorded it, we put it on, we put it on the computer for the audio, and then they helped analyze the data. Awesome. So they was on it from the beginning, from the beginning. To Shout the out end. to BCAP, man. Yeah. Y'all is y'all dope. Y'all on the move. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was great work that you that you helped to lead. And uh, I know we don't have a, have a lot of time to kind of dive through that that entire report. And we actually sat down with the young men a couple of weeks ago 
to get their permission to start to release and discuss some of the findings from it. But yes. um, just can you kind of like summarize, just generalize some of the, the major uh, key points of what kind of came out of uh, what you found? Definitely. So no. So what we what we ended up doing was we basically surveyed all the boys that were breaking barriers to all well all the young men. So it was the, the twelve to twenty four, twelve to twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um. So we interviewed all of them, and then when I was looking at the data, I was looking at trying to um analyze it in a couple of ways. First, I looked at you know age, and I looked at grade and stuff like that. But what happened was the most telling um, difference was between graduates and those that didn't graduate yet. So now let's... Um let me make it clear that, you know, all the guys in Breaking Barriers are doing well. This was the way for me to disaggregate it in a way that I could show that the graduates did have some more gains than guys that didn't graduate. So that's right. the difference that I went for. And what we found, basically, is that guys who graduated, they reported higher levels of self-esteem and life satisfaction. Um, and they also reported lower levels of um, disposition toward violence. Like So basically, going back to self-esteem, like I said, self-esteem... When you're a graduate, you tend to feel good about yourself. You know what I'm saying? A little bit higher than those who aspire to graduate. Those who um with life satisfaction, they tended to be, you know, in the middle. Um, the graduates, they didn't, they didn't, they they weren't too happy. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't like too satisfied. They weren't not too satisfied, but they were right in the middle, and that's what we wanted them. Um, in terms of disposition toward violence, graduates were less likely uh, to to pick, you know, to to resort to dealing with a situation through violence. Mm-hmm. So if you would have stepped on one of these guys' sneakers, they're not going to automatically punch you in your face. They're going to fall back and be like, yo, <laughs> this was a mistake. You know, it's not a big thing. Whereas, you know, aspiring graduates, were, were they scored <laughs> in the that. range where they were likely to still, you know, pop off if something, you know, trivial would have happened. Right. So those are just a couple of the um, of the of the findings. But the, the three that were the most, the most um, revealing was the self-esteem. That was number one. Number two was the fact that the graduates, when you go through the program and you mm. graduate through this program, that, that you tend to have less stereotypes of black people, mm. that you think way better of black people. The graduates, they um, at the end of the day, all of those stereotypes of blacks is dispelled for them. Like they don't believe in none of those stereotypes. And they look at the more they look at um they look at the the, the more uh optimistic side of blackness and look at look at the more um positive side of blackness as opposed to the aspiring graduates who may have still believe in some of the stereotypes somewhat. And then lastly and probably the most important was that the graduates, the guys who were in breaking barriers the most, they they basically exhibited um, higher levels of civic responsibility in terms of attitudes, like this, the, these attitudes towards civic responsibility mm-hmm. and toward their community just went through the roof. And I think that's probably one of the main things that breaking barriers does, from my view, is that it not only does it give you self esteem, not only does it make you look at your own people, especially um, people that have been um, that have suffered under stereotypical notions for mm-hmm. so long, mm-hmm. it, it removes that from your eye. And then lastly, it just makes you, it makes you want to engage in the community, which is probably the most, definitely the most gives beneficial us, outcome. Definitely, Doc. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it even makes us more vulnerable. You know, I feel like, honestly, I ain't never cried before, mm-hmm. before I joined this council. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just actually when I felt something, I would cry, but not in front of people. You know, I never cried in front of nobody. So it was, that was hard for me. And, you know, my first moment where I shed tears was when um I was going through it with some personal stuff. And we had a meeting, me and Daniel and Tommy and my mom. And 
We was talking. <laughs> I remember that meeting. <laughs> you remember that meeting. We basically, uh, yeah, forced you against your will. They forced me against my yeah. will to get back on track. Yeah, and, basically, yeah. And do what I had to do. So, um, you know, I cried because to know that these two strangers before I even, I didn't even know y'all, to know that y'all cared that much, it, it literally made me feel like I was valuable. Yeah. It made me feel like who I was as a person was taken into consideration. And it made me feel like my voice was heard, that I just needed to be validated or heard or listened to. And, and that's what everybody in the council want. They just want validation. I think I'm glad you brought that whole um, crying piece up because we also we also gave y'all a, a masculinity measure. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys tend got the the graduates of breaking barriers tended to not subscribe to traditional masculine values. So what does that mean? That means that you guys, like you said, you didn't you didn't look at crying as making you less of a man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um and so you guys scored lower on the on the traditional masculinity scale than the aspiring graduates, which was another piece basically indicating that when the when a when a young man joins breaking barriers, that actually that it helps them be more comfortable with their masculinity, which then leads to high, more vulnerability, which is a good thing. Yes. It just goes to show you that if you put the time, like they say, if you plant the seed correctly, it's going to eventually spout and grow. You just got to keep adding water to it. But if you got a hole in the bottom of your vase, it's not going to do nothing because the water just going to seep through. And the water is, you know, the knowledge that we've, Based off of what we've learned, exactly the water during the conversation. That's an excellent during the council. That's an excellent analogy. Watering that is the socialization. So every Saturday you see you see brother Dale and Pastor Tommy. Mm -hmm. Every every Saturday I see them. I feel like I'm getting watered. You know what I'm saying? When I be around y'all, you know, it's the socialization piece, the sprinkling, watering, fertilizing, whatever you want to call it. But it's this consistent. It's this consistent engagement. Right, that these breaking barrier graduates are going through that lead them to make these changes where they become this change that they want to see. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And now what's happening to y'all graduates? Now y'all are the ones that are leading these Black Lives Matter movements. Y'all are the ones that are leading these policy changes around um that matter to students and the schools and stuff. You're looking at these um how to do these these um different community um cleanup projects and stuff like that. This is the civic engagement. This is the improvement in masculinity. And this is you changing the narrative, right? Changing the narrative around how black boys are viewed. Um these stereotypes that are out there on black men do not do not represent you. They're not a reflection of you. You reflect something else. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And um yeah breaking barriers is just yeah it's something else. It's I feel like it's the key. You know, a lot of people say it's a key to opening a lot of doors. I feel like breaking barriers is just a key to opening up life choices. You know, we have choices in life, but when we get to those choices, going through the program, I feel like it gives us that that test, you know, that test run that we needed. When the evaluations, the surveys, it all gets stored up there, you know. It all gets stored up there because, you, you know, you, when you're in a situation where you feel like it's life or death or your life or your freedom could be put at risk. You're going to think about the conversations we've had. Mm-hmm. Like um, some of the members, I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to say any names, but they've said, you know, they were in times and places where they thought about the conversations we had in the circle mm-hmm. and they didn't, they didn't end up doing something that could have, you know, ultimately 
change their life forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they think about this stuff on a day-to-day basis. So I feel like if we were to mm-hmm. just make this more broader and to open it up besides out of Buffalo, make this breaking barriers. You know, um, Br- Brian Tiller, he has a organization called Breaking Barriers Uni- United, I believe. Tillman. Brian, yeah, Tillman. Ryan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I called this whole name wrong. Ryan Tillman. Ryan Tillman. Breaking Barriers United. Yeah, Breaking Barriers United. If we were to do something like that, just to make it more broader than Buffalo, I feel like we can make an impact beyond, I, you know, boys and men of color. I think. I think for me, when I when I when I when I think of breaking barriers, I think of I think of um, older black men who are just taking the situation by the horns. That's what I think of when I think of Pastor Dan, um, Brother Daniel and Pastor Tommy. I think of two brothers that just decided to make a difference, and they took it by the horns, and they created this. Mm-hmm. And the question becomes, when is every man or every black man in our community going to feel like taking up those horns? You know what I'm saying? When you t- If you take up the horns with your own kid and with your own family and stuff like that, and then you extend yourself out, you know what I mean? There's how we create, you know, there's how we create this community of breaking barriers. There's how we create this community of men changing the narrative. We just need more mob. We just need more men willing to step into those shoes and be that model, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's what Pastor Tommy and Brother Daniel have done here, you know. They're molding us so we could, like they say, take the torch and fulfill the legacy that was bestowed upon us, which was growth, change, and positivity. That's what we focus on you and, know? and contribute to a healthy ecosystem mm-hmm. especially a masculine ecosystem right and we need brothers to show the way in the same way that we had a lot of brothers showing the negative way landing in dead or in jail you know what i'm saying we need brothers to show the other way you know what i'm saying to prosperity you understand what i'm saying Amen. to life you feel me and we need more brothers and then you guys obviously are taking up that torch and then this is what you do through your legacy piece when you go out and find your own replacement mm-hmm. because breaking barriers is trying to make itself bigger oh yeah breaking barriers part of its goal is to grow you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying and bring fresh new faces in who then take on the same pledge that you did to become the change that they want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. How do we get this joint bigger? And how do we bring in the dudes that probably normally wouldn't have been able to be touched by us? Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Networking. Like Daniel said, mm-hmm. you better network while you can. So, And that's why this evaluate, why this evaluation was important and, you know, it shed some light. Mm-hmm. It's still preliminary. At the end of the day, we compared guys from within breaking barriers to guys within breaking barriers. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that they would, if we'd have um, handed these surveys out to guys who were not in breaking barriers, I think we would have seen a much more starker contrast between the graduates and guys who don't go to um, breaking barriers. What I love about the conversation that you two just had, and I sat back to just be quiet and just kind of take it all in was that it kind of, it confirms and validates everything that we said we kind of wanted to do when we initially started Breaking Barriers, right? So we wanted to make sure that Youth Voice was at the forefront. Dwayne, you went, you moved from co-host to host of the podcast. Uh, you talked about how you've been empowered and encouraged to use your, use your youth voice, and you do it, and I see a lot of your other brothers do it, right? So um, that's huge. You talk about we've been pushing narrative change since we started this thing. And when you sit here and you talk about how 
you know, you say you see yourself differently. You see yourself as a leader. Um, you see yourself as a person of uh, uh, you see yourself as an agent of change. You see a person. You see yourself as a person that wants to impact. But it's not and change your community. I appreciate you. I really do. But it's not me. That's the thing. This was I just used what I was taught just like school. If this boom, we said that we need to change the way we teach in life in general lessons is, you know, history, the history books are old. They're outdated. We need to start teaching life skills like restorative justice. We need to start teaching stuff to change the narrative, the common narrative that we have right now and that we're facing. If we were to, just like you were saying, show everybody that there is a positive side within the darkness and let that light shine, not only will we be getting to those individuals, but we will be making an impact on the people that surround them. Mm-hmm. And that will cause a ripple effect. And that ripple effect can become something way bigger than what it started off to be. A ripple could turn into a whole wave, you know? So it's like, just follow the ripples of the people that it affects. And eventually you're going to find the destination of where that water sets. And like you said, water is the information that we retain. So if we were to keep that water flowing with the information that we're getting, but if we were to start, you know, publishing that and filtering out the water ourselves and start teaching to our brothers, could that be, and lead to a different impact. I like what you said. But I'm going to push back on what you said in regards to darkness. Because uh, I think a lot of times what we do is we kind of overemphasize this. We make it cool to struggle. Like, we we highlight that. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in the struggle. I'm going through the struggle. I came up through this. And it's like, a lot of times we just responded to the, the disease and the illnesses in our community. Um based on the conditions that we've, you know, had to grow up in, right? Mm-hmm. So that narrative that's that exists out there about, you know, especially black men, it's just it's so wrong, man. Like I talk to so many young people and it's like they think the only way they're gonna get out the hood is I'm gonna become an athlete, mm-hmm. I gotta rap, or I gotta sell drugs. And that's the narrative that we we killing that narrative. Like that's dead. Like bump all that. That's that's not true. Cause yeah. you can be the doctor, you could be the teacher. Like this is all the stuff that all the mm-hmm. I'm not gonna call it corny, Gene, but like in John, preschool and first grade and second grade is always like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And we all say we're gonna be a doctor or a policeman mm-hmm. or a firefighter, but we so far beyond that. Like, yeah, nah, forget being LeBron James. Go be the dude that's training LeBron. Mm-hmm. Forget playing for the team. Go own the team. Like, change the narrative, man. Yeah. Change the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> he had to laugh. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why I am the way that I am. You know what I'm saying? That's why when I walk in the room, don't nobody know that I'm a doctor. Because that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. Be and, Dr. And, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and I want, and I and I want, so now I'm, I'm doing two things. So I'm teaching people that think they know what a doctor look like, that a doctor could be different. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That a doctor is not going to always be in the traditional. Well, right. I guess... I'm the, one of the few that's not a traditional, <laughs> right? And on, on, the, on the other right. end, I'm trying to show those people who never seen a doctor before that look like me that... That blew my skull when I'm, I figured it out. There's a doc. You could be a doctor that look like me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I want young people to be able to look and be like, oh, he's a doctor. And I don't want no separation from... I don't want no... I don't want that separation. Yeah. I don't want... I don't want my... I don't want them to look at me be like, oh, 
that old guy with a suit and he's just man. Listen, you know when, I mean? we, when we hear doctor in our community, we think about a white male in a lab coat. Yep, there mm-hmm. you go. In a white in a white mm-hmm. coat. That's mm-hmm. what we visualize when we when we hear doctor. Mm-hmm. Dr. Chris flipped that narrative like completely. And the crazy thing is, completely. Dr. Chris, the way that we're sitting here and kind of talking on this podcast, like he being chill today. But I've seen Dr. Chris go and <laughs> present at national convenings, like conferences in different cities all over the place, right? And when this man is done speaking and breaking and breaking down whatever he's breaking down on that particular day, because he's just so well versed and so educated in all these different areas, uh-huh. he got a line of folk. They like, are telling the truth. We was in Tennessee and we were in the next room we were at the conference and we was in the next room over from where dr chris was presenting so we sitting there we talking we giving ideas next thing you know do y'all hear what i'm saying i'm like oh yeah that's dr chris do y'all hear me do y'all hear me y'all must not hear me and that's just who you who you are yeah I'm, you i'm, I'm part you of want that. people to pay attention and see the that, picture that you're drawing yes that young black men can be doctors Young black men are educated. Young black men can't be doctors. And then if I was able to to switch up anybody's narrative around just that concept of what a doctor is supposed to look like, mm-hmm. then I've then I've completed, then I've done something. And I think that's part of my charge, you know, unconsciously. I think that's part of my charge is to go around the way that I am and for people to think that I'm not, and then you realize that I am. And that's in that that in of itself becomes a narrative change for that person. Absolutely. Because then you the next time you see a brother walking down the street and he got Tim's on like me, he got his Yankee hat to the back like me. Yo, you you gotta check yourself. That might mm-hmm. be a doctor right there. You never that know. might be an engineer. That might be a freaking podcast leader who got a million podcasts mm-hmm. out. You know what I mean? That might be Jamil. <laughs> and the freaking technology dude with a, with a DJ equipment in his right. trunk getting ready to pop off on the corner anytime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't know who you're talking to. Right. You don't know who you're talking to. Times have changed completely. And you got to stop, and we got to stop judging. And then we just got to stop judging the book by its cover all the time. We got to stop doing that. That's one of the things. But I definitely feel that that's why I resonate with you guys so much because I feel like, you know, you guys are trying to change the narrative. That's what I'm trying to do too, you know. And so, and and I hope that you know that when when y'all see me, that we know when some of y'all go for that PhD, y'all like shit. This ain't nothing. Doctor Chris, like, man, I know Doctor Chris done did this. Shit. I, I'm ready. We about we about to hurry up and change the uh, the direction of this conversation because <laughs> Doctor Chris told me people going to get their PhDs, and he been on me for like two years about mine. But um, <laughs> see, I so look at that with that. Yeah, I know. I feel his energy. That's why I looked away. <laughs> so with that. Uh, it's time to close out because we got to do our. Uh, we about to put you on the hot seat, Doctor oh, yeah. Chris, before we get up out of here. Okay. Because um, I just felt a look from a stare from Jamil too, but um, <laughs> you know, it's all it's all love, Doctor Chris. We ain't really get a chance to do a deep dive on your, you know, your your how you grew up, your background, and all we that do. kind of stuff. But hopefully, we'll get some of that um, during the time that we ask these questions coming up. All right. So you in the hot seat? Uh, how this works is I ask you a question. The first thing that comes to mind is what you have to respond with. And usually it's a one word answer. And Dr. Chris, I know you can go. So I'm going to hold you to that one word answer. One word word response. All All right. What's your favorite? Well, first of all, what's your hometown? My hometown, Central Ice of Long Island. All right. So what's your favorite restaurant in your hometown? My favorite restaurant? Oh, the pizza joint. The pizza joint at the Sea Town. Okay. Now, how long have you been living in Buffalo now? 
now this is my fifth year with my wife. I went to undergrad here in 96 or 2000 at Buff State, but when I got working now at UB, I've been here the last five years with my wife and my daughter, my son. All right. Uh, so since you've been here a couple of years now, you actually, you, you're eligible to answer this question here. Uh, what's your, well, let me back up. Wings or pizza? Damn, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yo, I got your Duff's and Lenovo's. Okay. Duff's and Lenovo's. Oh, and just pizza on Transit Road. The, uh, the we honey. ain't ask you your favorite pizza by here. We <laughs> said wings or pizza. You got to pick one. Oh, okay. Wings. Wings. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, what's your favorite place to visit in Buffalo? My favorite place to visit? In Buffalo. In Buffalo. My favorite place to visit. Honestly, honestly, I just like riding around on the east side. That's an interesting conversation that we're not going to have today. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's a very interesting response. Um, who's your favorite sports team? Although I don't really think you're a big sports dude. Nah, I'm not a big sports dude. But uh, when I was little, I used to love the Jets. Okay. The Jets? Straight up, man. <laughs> Ken O'Brien. You know we played them this weekend, right? Yeah. Y'all probably going to crush them, too. It ain't no probably. Well, that's what I doubt. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. It's going down. It's over. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> All right. Person you admire the most in your industry. In your industry, that's vast, but I don't, I got, I'll let you pick the context in which you define industry. That I respect the most? Yeah. In my industry. Well, I'm an academic. Um, I, was, I would say, you know, my mentor, Dr. Trisha Ben Goodley. Okay. My mentor. I thought you was gonna say the uh, the brother over at uh, over at Buff State. Uh, he's one of them. Okay, he's one of them. All right, Doctor right. um, Ron Stewart. He one mm -hmm. of them. Yeah, Doctor Stewart. Mm -hmm. Awesome man. If you had to pick someone to portray, if you had to pick an actor to portray you in a movie, who would it be? Red man. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. I actually could see that though. Reggie Noble. Reggie Noble. I could see that because I got the same type of energy, yo. That's crazy. I definitely could see that. All right. Um, LeBron Jordan or Kobe. Mm. Be careful, Dr. Chris. Proceed with caution. Man, yo, I Kobe, my man. I like I take Kobe. I know you a LeBron fan. Who? You. Dr. Chris. You no, not, I'm not. You Jordan? No. Yeah, I'm cold. I'm gonna go with I'm Kobe. I'm a Kobe fan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm a I was a Jordan fan before I was a Kobe fan. Yeah, of but course. I'm we through and through, <laughs> through and through, Kobe fan. Yeah, I, I think I'm Kobe. All right. Um, what's your favorite dish? Uh soul food, Italian, Spanish food, like you can throw whatever else out there. Mexican. The islands. The islands. The islands. Yeah, Jamaican, Trini, Haitian food. All right. The rice and beans and stuff. Okay. Uh Denzel Washington. Will Smith or Samuel Jackson? Yeah, Sam Well. From Sam Well. I knew he was going with Sam Jackson. Tell me, you got to give me the insight on why. That's just my, <laughs> yo, that man is just, he's just awesome. He's a legend. I'm yeah, tired yeah, of this. I'm legend. tired of all his lies. Y'all know it. I just, I'm tired of these I'm think, I'm actually thinking. I'm actually thinking of um, Jackie Brown right now when you brought it up. But like, nah, Sam Well, that man's just so versatile. His versatility is crazy. Snakes on the plane was crazy. <laughs> All right. Um, what's your favorite city city to visit? My favorite city to visit? Yep. To visit. Oh man. My favorite city to visit. It'd probably be um probably be Man, that's a hard one actually. 
I thought she was gonna say somewhere in Cali because I know you gotta go out there. Like, don't you go out there like every year for Christmas? Every yeah, other year, my in laws. I gotta go out there, and I don't like Cal. I'm not a California person. I guess my favorite place to visit probably is probably maybe Florida, right? Mm. You know, I go see my 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 family in Florida. Right. Uh, music artist that's currently in heavy rotation. All the time, Nasir Jones. All Yo, the time. I, I I had a feeling you was going there, but he's definitely in heavy. Heavy rotation with me right now. That you, King's you listen? Disease? You like that joint? Oh my goodness! We okay. got a podcast just on that. Okay, I and you, everybody that knows me knows I'm a whole fan yeah, to the death. Yeah, but this Nas album, Nas nah, it for sure. Fire! Um, best advice you ever received? The best advice I ever received was 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 that I was smart. And you. You fire from smart, man. You like brilliant. As Tommy would say, oh, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> Easily. Uh, uh, person who had the greatest impact on you growing up. Yo, that was probably, that might have been Dr. Stewart. Okay. Mm-hmm. Big ups to Dr. Stewart over there. He's still at Buff State? Yeah. Okay, big yep. ups to Dr. Stewart. Um, what's your, I know your dad, you know, your girl dad. So what's uh, your favorite activity uh, to do with your with your children? I just, man, I, I just like talking to my daughters and my little man, being on the playground with them. Mm. Yeah, being on the playground with him and my daughters, they're 19 and 20, just talking to them. You get a chance to talk to a girl. When you get a 19 and 20-year-old to sit down and be able to talk for a little while, that, you know, <laughs> I feel blessed when I'm able to do that. So That's yeah, relationship right yeah, there, man. Just talking to them and playing playing on the playground with my son. All right, last two questions. Um, bah, 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 bah. what's your greatest fear? It's one. What's your greatest fear? My greatest fear? Yep. Sure. My greatest fear is not being able to protect my family. Okay. And what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> Breaking barriers. Yeah, that there you easy. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was say the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, I, I was supposed to say the, I was supposed to say uh, um, Joe Budden. <laughs> nah, I ain't gonna front, man. Like I do enjoy watching his podcast. Who Ti joint? Ti and he, Joe Budden. He is man. hilarious. When I want to get some hilarious. music intel, but with that, Doctor Doctor Chris, you off the hot seat. I'm gonna kick it back over to Dwayne and close us out. Um. It was great I think having I, you on today, man. It's always good seeing you. Always, man. Inspiration to black men all over the world, man. Thank y'all for having me, man. All right, y'all. It's time to wrap it up. It's been real capping with y'all and keeping it real. Now, I want to thank you all. Please, thank you all for tuning in. And please stay posted and make sure you subscribe and rate our podcast on all of the major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our heart radio and a big shout out to our partners at say as buffalo the greater buffalo racial equity roundtable of course and the community foundation for greater buffalo we appreciate you and we appreciate the support and it's a marathon y'all let's keep running thanks for checking out another episode of the breaking barriers podcast if you haven't done so already make sure you follow us on all of the streaming platforms including apple Podcasts, spotify google play stitcher and iHeartRadio. For more information about Breaking Barriers, visit our website at www.breakingbarriersbuffalo.org.